0: Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, earlier this year, Tegan and I did something that I thought we'd never be able to do. Uh, We completed a half marathon. A half marathon is 21 kilometres of running. It's quite a run. I just realized I didn't give you my PowerPoint, did I? Oh, no, I did. Now, this is quite a big thing, considering three years ago, this is what I looked like. That's not pretty, is it? <laughs> I was not in shape. I, I had no physical ability to run the half marathon. So what changed? What changed over those three years. Well, Tegan and I, we started to eat right. We started to do park run every Saturday. And then we got this crazy idea of running a half marathon. Uh, you could take the picture down now. It's quite embarrassing. <laughs> uh, uh, and, um, and then we entered into this season of preparation where every Tuesday we would go for a long run and we would add one kilometer to our run. So one week we'd run 5K, next 6 Seven, eight, 9, 10, all until we built up to 16K because one of our friends had told us that if you can run 16K, then on the day, you'll have enough adrenaline and you'll run the 21Ks. So we needed this season of preparation. Well, tonight in our study of the book of Acts, we've come to Acts chapter nine. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter nine and verse 19. And last week we saw that Acts chapter 9 is about how God takes this really unlikely person, Saul, a persecutor of the church, an enemy of God, and he shines his light on his heart and he transforms him. And last week, we heard a very powerful message about how this teaches us that we should never give up on anyone because the redemptive power of the gospel is so great that God can reach Anyone, anyone. But we also saw last week that God said to Ananias in verse 15, he said that Jesus said to Ananias in verse 15, that Saul would be his chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And if you keep on reading the book of Acts, you will discover that From Acts 13 to Acts 28, the story is actually all about Saul or as he would later be known as Paul. And he would become that chosen instrument of Jesus to carry his name out to the nations so that by the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome, the center of the world, the cultural and political center of the world. But how did God do it? How did God take the greatest persecutor of the church and turn him in? to the greatest preacher, the greatest enemy of the gospel, and turn him into the greatest promoter of the gospel, humanly speaking, that the world has ever seen. Well, obviously, as we saw last week, he got a hold of him. He got a hold of him first. He shined the light of the gospel upon his heart. But as we're going to see in these narratives that we're going to study tonight, what God also did was in order for... Uh, Paul, to run the race, the marathon that God had for him from Acts 13 to Acts 28, God had to take him through a season of preparation. And we read about this season in Acts chapter 9. And I don't know what God's will for your life is. You probably don't have, like Paul, a specific word over your life saying, you are going to be my chosen instrument. It's probably not what you have. It's not what I have. But uh, I do know that Paul says in, in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works that God has planned in advance for us to walk in. I believe that God does have a calling for each one of us. And God will, like the Apostle Paul, take us through these seasons of preparation where he will prepare us for what he has for us in the future. And what we're gonna do tonight, and what I'd like you all to do, is that as we study these different seasons of preparation, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I in that season, and what is God teaching me right now, all right? Am I in this season, and what is God teaching me right now? So let's look at the first season. The first season that God took Paul through was a season of winter. Now, winter is obviously a time when things die. It's a time when it's cold and when the animals go into hibernation. And for God to use you, God often needs to take you, or in fact, I think he definitely needs to take you through a season of winter, a season where things must die. If you look down in your Bibles in verse 19, you'll see that it says that after Paul was converted, he spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. And then in verse 20, it says that, Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Now, most commentators that I read, they believe that there is actually a gap in in the narrative here between verses 19 and verse 20. And this is because over in Galatians 1, when Paul is commenting about his life, he says this in Galatians 1, verse 15. It'll come up on the screen. He says that when he who set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So that's his conversion. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who are apostles before me. But he says, I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So do you see that there seems to be this gap between verses 19 and 20 where Paul went to Arabia, where he went down and spent time in the desert. You know, if you do a study of the people that God uses, you will find this consistent theme that he takes them out into the desert. It's interesting. D.L. Moody uh, once wrote concerning Moses, the great leader in the Old Testament. He said that Moses' life can be divided into 40 year periods. First, he spent 40 years trying to be a somebody. Then he spent the next 40 years in the desert, realizing that he was a nobody, so that he could spend 40 years seeing that God uses nobodies to achieve his purpose. And obviously, the Lord Jesus, before he entered his ministry, where did he go? He spent 40 days in the wilderness, in the desert. And it's interesting that Luke says that he came up out of the desert, get this, in the power of the spirits. And so it's no surprise that before Paul could be used by God, he had to go to the desert. He had to go through a season of winter. Now, what did Paul learn in the desert? Well, it's interesting that some commentators suggest that this was Paul's like Arabian Bible college, <laughs> that he went down and spent three years thinking about how he had misunderstood the whole thing. That now that he understood who Jesus was, and now he understood that Jesus was Messiah, he spent three years thinking about, rethinking all of his theology, rethinking all of the Old Testament in light of who Christ is. But I'd like to suggest to you that it was actually much deeper than just a rethinking of theology. You see, Paul, his whole life, had been a star pupil. Paul had been first in his class. We find out in the book of Acts that Paul had studied under Rabbi Gamaliel. Rabbi Gamaliel was the top rabbi in Israel. In order to be a a disciple of Rabbi Gamaliel, you had to be the top of the top of the top of the top. And what I think that Paul learned in the desert was that none of that mattered. Not one bit of it mattered. As he would say in Philippians 3, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. As Oswald Sanders once said, before God can use a person, he needs to break them. Before God can use you, He needs to humble you. He needs to break you. He needs to make you realize that whatever was for your gain, you need to now count as loss so that you cling to the righteousness of Jesus alone, so that you cling to Christ alone. And so what he'll do is he'll take you through a season of winter, a season where things are dying in your life. Now, many times before in this church, I've shared my story, my life story of Tegan and I. And uh, I know I've shared it before, but I'm gonna share it again because some of you were not here when when I've shared it. Some of you are new. And it also is a story that gives glory to God, but it's also a story about how God took me through a season of winter. I was married to Tegan, my wife, at the age of 19, and we got married really young. And we brought into our marriage all sorts of problems. After about a year of marriage, it became obvious that we were, we were not traveling well, and we basically became roommates. Well, at the age of 21, I then went along to a Hillsong conference, and I had this amazing time with God. You know those amazing moments where you have where God just really gets a hold of your heart again? It was one of those times of surrender. And I surrendered my life to the Lord, and I felt this call of God to go into ministry. But while my life was going a certain way, Tegan's was going a completely different way. I called her from the Hillsong Conference and said, Darling, guess what? I've had this great time with God. And she said, Well, that's great. I'm drunk. She was heading one way, and I was heading this other way. Well, I came back to my church, Ashgrove Baptist Church, and I got fully involved in church ministry. I was a youth leader, I was in the worship team, I was running Christianity Explained courses, I was preaching as part of they gave young guys a go and i got up and had a go at preaching i was doing all of this sort of stuff and i was seen in my church as being the young up and comer in the church this young up and comer this young up and coming rising sort of guy but all the while while on the surface everything looked great behind the scenes tegan and iris relationship was absolutely falling apart and you see at that point in my life i thought that what it meant to be a minister of the gospel is you had to present everything really well publicly and just keep everything hidden behind closed doors. Well, uh, 1997, I, uh, I decided to go part-time at Bible College and part-time work to just test the waters to see whether God was calling me into full-time ministry. And uh, yet our marriage was still struggling, was we still having lots and lots of problems. And then lo and behold, in 1997, Tegan became pregnant with our first daughter, Hannah. And, uh, and then, you know, things got really bad. <laughs> Not that she was really bad, she was a real blessing, but, but it highlighted the difficulties and struggles we were having in our marriage. The next year, 1998, I was all set to go to Bible college. I was set to go to the Baptist Theological College, to fulfill my dream to be a pastor, and... I was uh, had a placement at this church that was one of the best churches in Brisbane that was really going places. Anyway, this whole time Tegan was pleading with me. We can't go to Bible college, Timon. We're broken. Our marriage is falling apart. No one knows it, but we're just falling apart. We can't do this, Timon. She was pleading with me not not to push her to go. And I would just sort of tell her, Ephesians 5:22, baby. Wives submit to your husbands. This is the plan, and I would hit her over the head with that verse. Well, one day Tegan, you know, said to me as I went to work. This is in 1997. She said, uh, "When I get home this afternoon, I'm not going to be there. When you get home this afternoon, I'm going to be not be there." And I said to her, "Yeah, whatever," because she had threatened this before. And when I came home, she wasn't there. And so I approached a couple who were friends of ours and. They found where Tegan was. She'd booked herself into a motel. And the wife took Tegan out for dinner, and the husband took me out for dinner. And I was furious. And I had all these lists of demands of what she needed to do to get on back on board with the Bible college plan so I could be a big man of God plan. And at the top of the list was Ephesians 5, 22. That's what she needed to do. So my friend, he came to Tegan, and he ran out my pathetic list of demands. And Tegan just broke down and wept, and she said, I want to be the wife that, Tegan, that Timon wants me to be, but we're just so broken, and he's so hard. Well, my friend, he came back to me, and I'll never, I'll be really indebted to him, because he came back to me, and he said, Timon, you need to read Ephesians 5 again. It not only says, wives, submit to your husbands, but it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Timon, I think you're going to have to give up your dreams, your ambitions, for the sake of your wife. And so in 1998, instead of going to Bible college and going and being a big pastor, I moved to the Gold Coast and went on the Dole. I entered a season of winter. And Hannah was born and Tegan got postnatal depression and so things actually got worse for a season in our marriage and, and Tegan went and lived. We were separated for a period where Tegan went and lived in one of the elders' houses in our church and I lived in our own little unit and it seemed like everything was being stripped from me. But it's a beautiful place to be. A beautiful place Where you realize that all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Have you ever been through a period of winter where everything is just being stripped out of your hands? You know, I would sit in these circles with guys sharing our problems. And whereas before, you know, when you go around sharing guys in small groups and you share 90%, of what's going on, you don't share the last 10%, the real stuff. Well, finally I had nothing to defend. And so for the first time I sat in this guys group and I said, I struggle with lust, I struggle. I confess what was really going on. And that's where God came in and God showed me. You see, if God is ever going to use you, he needs to break you. And you'll need to go through a season of winter There's no other way. So I wonder, are you in a season of winter right now? Where God is taking you through this season where things must die. Well, fortunately, we don't stay in winter. (laughs) There are other seasons. The next season we see is a season of spring. You know, spring is a season of new opportunity and new life. Spring is a season where things come into life. And, and we see that Paul enters a season of spring in verse 20. Look in verse 20 in your Bibles. It says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and, says, and said, Is not this the man who was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem uh, for those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests But, verse 22, notice this, Saul increased all the more in strength and contradicted the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, in spring, there is this new life. And what we see here for Paul is we see Paul exercising his gifts and developing his strengths. And in spring, your your strengths will come into play. And and we see Paul's strengths exposed. First, we see that he has the gift of evangelism. As it says in verse 20, he preached and proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. This gift of evangelism would be used by Paul greatly throughout his life. During the season of spring, your spiritual gift will be exposed. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know what spiritual gift you have? The Bible says that you have one. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse seven, it says, to each one is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. When you become a Christian, not only do you get the gift of the Holy Spirit himself, but the Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift, a divine empowerment for ministry. Paul says this in Romans 12, verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our servant serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift, a divine empowerment that God has given you for you to minister to the body. And in spring, those spiritual gifts will be exposed. But not only do we see Paul's spiritual gifts exposed, I think we see his natural abilities. Notice in um, verse 20, it says that he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, the word proving means, it's a logical word. And one of Paul's greatest natural abilities was his logical mind. When you read the rest of the New Testament, you see Paul's letters, how he's able to prove an argument, how he's able to answer objections in those great letters like Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and other great letters that he wrote. And you see, God has not only given you spiritual gifts, but he's given you natural abilities. And do you know those natural abilities? Do you know the way that God has actually shaped you as a person? And are you comfortable with your spiritual gifts and the natural abilities that God has given you? Uh, You know, a couple of years ago, I was just sitting down and this wave of despair came over me because I realized I'm never going to be as good a preacher as Tim Keller. (laughs) Tim Keller is like one of my favorite preachers, right? So I'm lucky that most of you don't know who he is because he... Then you'd compare my sermons to his, but but um, but he is this statesman of the church, and he reads so so much, and he has such deep insight. And I was just despairing. I'm never going to be Tim Keller. And I realized that's okay. I'm Timon Benson. (laughs) I don't have to be Tim Keller. I'm Timon Benson. You know, so many times I see people in ministry trying to be someone they're not trying to be someone else but you don't have to be you just have to you have to understand that god has made you in a fearfully and wonderfully way well that doesn't make sense but you know what i mean he's made you wonderfully and fearfully what is it fearfully and wonderfully whatever it is you know psalm 139 he's made you right wonderfully and fearfully made that's how it is he's made you that way i got it michelle there you got it in the end so as we can see no tim keller but um so God has made you, and, and you can be, therefore you can be comfortable with who you are. You don't have to be anyone else. And so spring is the season where your strengths are exposed, where God shines down and you exposes your spiritual gifts and your natural abilities. But then we come to autumn. Autumn, my friends. Oh, autumn. We've seen, what's the first one we saw? Winter, that's right. Then we had spring. Now we come to autumn. Now, Yeah. The thing is, it doesn't come in the right order in Paul's life, so I'm just mucking up the order. I know that. I know that. That's cool. I haven't missed something out. We'll get to summer in the end. But autumn is this season where things are exposed that are hidden. Now, look down in verse 23. This is really fascinating. Paul, it says, When my days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Uh, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot... To, became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples told, uh, led him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, this is really fascinating. Come with me here. Paul mentions this same event over in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. It's going to come up on the screen. Look at this. Paul says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Arxus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now, remember Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that will show my weakness. And then he tells this story, the same story found in Acts of how he was led away by night let down in a basket and he fled by night so the question is what was Paul's weakness and how did this story show his weakness this is really powerful remember from verse 16 Paul the Lord Jesus said that Paul would suffer for his name that he would show him how much he would suffer for his name that in other words Part of his calling as an apostle was to stand up and to suffer for the name of Christ. And at the first sign of persecution, and at the first sign of suffering, what does Paul do? Paul flees by night and runs away. Do you know what the number one, when you trace it down, do you know what the number one thing that Paul prays for in his letters, what he gets the church to pray for him for, about? The number one thing that he gets the church to pray for is for boldness. For boldness. Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. One of my favorite verses. Why would Paul say that if he didn't feel the temptation to be ashamed? You see, I believe that Paul's weakness was that he was afraid. Afraid of opposition, afraid of persecution, afraid of having to suffer for the sake of Christ. And it seems in this early season of autumn, God was exposing that weakness. And you see, get this, you've got to get this. It is good for our weaknesses to be exposed because we not only minister through our weakness, through our strengths, but we also minister powerfully through our weaknesses. Now, let me explain what I think Paul means when he talks about weakness, because I don't think, I don't think we understand this at all. I, in fact, I didn't understand this until I was studying it this week. Weaknesses, I think, according to Paul, are human limitations that are either in our personality, these human limitations are either in our personality, or they come about because of our life circumstances that might get in the way of us fulfilling the calling that God has for us. You see, for Paul, he was called to take the gospel to kings and Gentiles and to Israel and to endure the suffering that 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 calling would endure. But in himself, he was not a very bold and courageous person. And he was petrified at moments. Now, let me say this clearly. Weaknesses are not necessarily sin. You see, it's not a sin to be fearful when persecution comes. That's not a sin to be afraid when persecution comes, right? But it can become a sin if you allow the fear of man to grip your heart and you make an idol of approval. Or, please, Claire, get this. It's awesome. Or your weakness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, can be the very place where God displays His power, His power is made perfect in what? In weakness, in weakness. In those human limitations that we have. If we bring them to Jesus and we give them to Jesus, Jesus can take those human limitations and he can work through those human limitations and he could show his power. This is amazing. Let me give you some concrete examples. Once I was at this leadership gathering of these pastors and this really high-powered pastor gets up and he shocked the whole crowd. He said to all of the pastors there, he said, I need to get 12 hours of sleep every night or I can't function. And that shocked everyone. Because we're used to pastors saying like, I only sleep bragging about it. I only sleep six hours a night and I get up 5 a.m. every morning. This pastor said, no, I need 12 hours of sleep every day or else I can't function. That's his human limitation. But he brings his human limitation to Jesus. And Jesus actually shows his greatness and his power through it. Corey tamboom at the age of 17, she dove into a river and became a quadriplegic. She's been in a wheelchair for 50 years. This is a human limitation. Johnny Erickson Tata. Who did I say? Corey Tamboom. Yeah, she's another great woman of faith, isn't she? Sorry about that. Glad you're listening. This is powerful. This is powerful. She she has been in the wheelchair for 50 years, and God has used her to preach all around the world. God has used the very weakness to show his strength, to show his power. Well, one probably closer to home, there was a young pastor who graduated from Bible college here in South Australia in the early 70s. And people said to him, because of his personality, which was pretty abrupt, because he was Dutch, that he would never be used in the ministry. That he would never be used in the ministry. And uh, the only place that they were willing to give him was peak circuit, this backward place. But God's power is made perfect in weakness. And then he came to this little church called Prospect Baptist Church, a little legalistic church. And he came there, and that was Pastor Paul. God used his power, was made perfect in his weakness. This is hard to preach to you.